Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Premier Doug Ford joins me to discuss the truck convoy, the pandemic, and whether he will run federally. Who will be the next person to lead the federal conservatives? Sudding racist hiring practices, fired Miami Dolphins head coach Brian Flores is suing the NFL. Dolly Parton, Eminem, and Lionel Richie headlined the latest nominees for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And will companies who advertise during the Beijing Winter Games get any blowback? The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. We have a special guest on today's program, the Premier of the province of Ontario, Doug Ford, joining us here on GMH. Mr. Ford, how are you today? I'm doing great, and you're in yourself. And first of all, thanks for having me on, Rick. It's greatly appreciated. Yeah, thanks for coming on. I, I got to ask you this: every time we send an email or a text to someone, or we're talking to someone on the phone or in person, if we're lucky enough to do so, we're asking them how they're doing. So, how are you yeah. doing? You've been dealing with a lot of stuff over the last couple of years. How are you holding up? Yeah, I'm. I'm, I'm doing fine. I just I want to get through this uh, this whole pandemic worse than anyone, uh, Rick. I can't stand the, the uh, shutdowns, lockdowns, whatever you want to call them. The good news is we've, we've opened up now and we're going to do a uh, cautious reopening. Our next stage is uh, February 21st. I just can't wait to put this behind us like like any, everyone. How have you been dealing with the grind? Because I could imagine, you know, yeah. some sleepless nights and some early mornings and some late nights and planning on the weekend. It, 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 at times you must be thinking, man, I, I just wish this was over, as as all of us do. Yeah, well, I, I I leave my office about midnight every every uh, day, and and uh, you don't sleep at night. You wake up early, and you're back at it. But that's all part of the job. And you know something? It's not about me, Rick. It's about imagine all the, the frontline nurses that are up there slugging it out, and everyone else. And they've uh, they've just done an incredible job. Everyone in Ontario has. And I, I just want to thank them, and I'm I'm very grateful for for everyone's hard work and 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 patience. And I know my team comes up to me and says, hey, you got to have patience. And I'm, <laughs> I keep saying I'm running out of patience like everyone else. We got to get uh, we got to get moving forward. Uh, we have new modeling from the Ontario Science Advisory Table showing that uh, Omicron has peaked. However, hospitalizations won't decline just yet. Do you feel you're between a rock and a hard place when it comes to reopening the economy? Well, I've, I've felt that many, many times. I always say I'm damned if I do and I'm damned if I don't. But I've always uh, cited on the side of caution. I always listen to the, the chief medical officer and, and uh, the health experts around me. And, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're seeing some positive news too. When, when they, they see slowly but surely, uh, we're seeing the numbers come down. We're, we're building more capacity in our, in our hospitals. We've uh, built 3,100 new beds and uh, hired 6,700 uh, new healthcare workers. Another 6,000 are coming on board. So we're, we're, we're building the health human resources. We're also building the infrastructure across the, the province to, to make sure we can handle anything that comes our way in the, in the future. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Ontario Premier Doug Ford. My name is Rick Samprin. Thanks for taking some time out of your busy morning to spend it with us. So we're hearing that the protesters in Ottawa are going to be taking the roadshow to Toronto. Any preparations being made on that front? Yeah, we, we always work hand in hand with the, the security down at Queen's Park along with the Toronto police. But, you know, I just I just hope it's always a, a peaceful protest. Uh, we live in a democracy. If people want to come down and, and protest, God bless them. I, I understand their, their frustration. I, I really do. And I know the, the people up in Ottawa, they've, they've found it very tough over the last few days, the small businesses and the restaurants, they can't open. 
but uh, hopefully we're, we're all going to get through this together as soon as possible and we, we won't need any, uh, any more protests. You've been very vocal in your request for a larger share of the health care pie, if you will, from the federal government. Do you expect any movement there? Well, I hope so. You know, we're, we're all united, all, all 13 uh, premiers, um, no matter what political stripe is. We, we cannot sustain the spending moving forward on the, on the Canadian health transfers. And, it, and i got to be fair to this government. It's not just this government. It's government after government for decades. Uh, we're, they're, they're paying 22%. We're paying 78%. And it's just not sustainable on the growth of health care and the money we're, we're pouring in for any jurisdiction. So we have a meeting this Friday with the premiers, and we get, a, we get along just uh, incredibly well, all of us. But we have to get a deal with the, the federal government. They, they seem to be kicking the can down the road constantly on us. And it's, uh, it's, not, it's not sustainable to continue going at the rate we're going. Uh, no province can afford to do it. What, what does that share number look like? And how long can we go down this road of unsustainability? Well, hope, hopefully we're, we're going to really hold them to account. We, we, we're going to have a meeting uh, with the prime minister, but we're in constant communication, all our health ministers. But uh, we're going to keep going, and, and hopefully we're going to strike a deal, a fair deal uh, for, for everyone. But they, they cannot just give us 22% across the country. So I, I, you know, I can't. I'm not going to get into the, the the weeds of the exact numbers. It's kind of going back and forth, but we need to increase that uh, a lot more than what they're giving us right now. And I'm 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 confident um, and hopeful that uh, they're they're going to put an end to it from previous governments for decades of of uh, ignoring provinces. At one time, Rick, it used to be a 50-50 split. And government after government just kept reducing it and reducing it and expecting uh, us to continue investing in healthcare, which we have. We've increased healthcare by billions and billions of dollars. And we, we need to continue to invest in it with technology and hiring more, more people and, and building more hospitals. Uh, that, that's what we need to do. We have one more minute with Ontario Premier Doug Ford here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. There are rumblings that you're considering a run for the leadership of the federal Conservative Party. Any truth to that? Uh, no. I, You know, Rick, I love my job being Premier. I love the people of Ontario, and uh, we still have a lot of work to do and move forward and, and get our economy booming. Uh, but I, I, I love my job right now, and, uh, you know, Hopefully, and you know, I'd be very grateful if we get reelected and uh, we're going to have this uh, province just absolutely booming like the roaring 20s uh, as we move forward and we get out of the, this pandemic. Do you take those rumblings as a compliment? Uh, you know, I, I just, uh, I, I appreciate people's support, but I, I'm 100% focused on, on the province right now. I'm not deviating from, from that. I'm going to continue staying focused. And, and we have the greatest jurisdiction in the world to live in and work and raise a family and build a company. Um, there's no place like it anywhere in the world. And I'm, I'm so grateful and proud to be the Premier. Premier Ford, really appreciate your time today. Uh, thanks for joining us and enjoy the rest of the day. Well, thanks so much, Rick. And I look forward to coming in, in the studio next time. So thank, thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah, we'd love to have Premier Ford in studio, hopefully very, very soon. But obviously with pandemic restrictions in place, we'll have to bide our time. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. I never lose sight of what an honour it is for me to serve my hometown in Parliament. And there is not a bad seat in the House of Commons. 
from the back corner by the curtains where I first sat to the front rows. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Aaron O'Toole out as federal Conservative Party leader. So what happens now? David Aiken, chief political correspondent for Global News, joins us to break it all down. David, good morning. Welcome back to Good Morning Hamilton. Yeah, no problem, Rick. How you doing? I'm good. Um, you know, no surprise that Aaron O'Toole has been ousted. I think that if we were all reading the tea leaves correctly, we would uh, surmise that that was going to be the case. However, the 73-45 vote total was a bit of a eyebrow raiser for me. Did you think it was going to be a little closer than that? Uh, yes, I did. I-, I thought he would lose, but I didn't think by that. As one MP call- told me, that was a drubbing. And um, and really goes to, you know, kind of in the what were you thinking, he surely must have known the count. And yet he went into it, uh, you know, and as, as some say, sort of faced a hail of bullets. And uh, it was a long meeting. They spent four hours debating things. And O'Toole spoke twice, I'm told, and uh, tried to make a final appeal, uh, promised to move up a leadership review that had been scheduled for August of 2023, uh, promised to move it up. I don't know what date he would have promised, but uh, that wasn't good enough. At the end of the day, when we, when we spoke to MPs on their way out of this meeting, it was a virtual meeting. They all met on Zoom. Um, and then they all came into the House of Commons. And um, I think the common denominator was those who said it's time to go. They felt that O'Toole was working against party unity. He was dividing the party into, say, the more moderate Eastern Canada based and the more conservative Western Canada based. But that might be a bit of a crude division, but that's pretty much roughly it. Um, and and so uh, in, to, to restore some unity, uh, MPs concluded that um, they needed to have a new leader. And, um, and this morning they do. Candace Bergen uh, is the interim leader. Could she be potentially a leadership candidate? No, almost certainly not. Interim leaders generally, when you put your hand up to be an interim leader, you say, I won't be the leader. And yet there were people in her caucus who thought she'd make a good leadership candidate. I don't because she doesn't speak a whit of French. and You cannot lead a party at this time uh, without being able to speak both official languages. Um, and that, the fact that she doesn't speak French, that, that immediately got a lot of notice right across the river from me in Quebec, among the Quebec media, um, and certainly among Quebec members of her caucus. When Stephen Harper won and was, was prime minister for a decade, he managed to secure enough votes and support among, in Quebec among French nationalists, the kind of people who vote for the current Quebec premier, Francois Legault. Legault is the most popular premier, believe it or not, in the country, even though Quebec, you could argue, has handled the pandemic the worst. doesn't matter to, to, to folks there. They like Legault, and you want to, if you're a conservative, align yourself uh, with Legault in that province. Candace Bergen can't do that. She doesn't speak French. Another thing about Candace Bergen, she is four square behind the protest convoy that's still below my, my, my office here, honking away. <laughs> and uh, for conservatives, that is not a liability. They, they believe in the truckers' convoy, even though there are some obviously racist and uh, anti-Semitic uh, elements associated with that convoy. They don't mind being photographed amid the group down there. Uh, her liberal and conservative opponents are four square against the convoy. They declared it illegal again, they call it. Uh, you know, the, the organizers uh, have some pretty dodgy backgrounds in white supremacist groups, and uh, they're happy to point it out. But again, for Bergen, uh, that, that she, she, she's with them. Uh, so she, again, is coming from the conservative part of the party. She's a grandmother for, uh, uh, from the riding of Portage Lisgar, southern Manitoba, a riding which had a huge contingent of People's Party of Canada votes. So she's had to contend with the very people that right now are uh, here in Parliament Hill. People's Party of Canada and these, these protesters are, are perfectly symbiotic and they don't like vaccine mandates. 
So we'll see where she goes. Her, her job right now is bring the party together. You're going to see her in the House of Commons. She's a take no prisoners, very disdainful of her opponents, uh, very aggressive with her questions, very much like the, the fan favorite in that caucus, that being Pierre Poiliev. We uh, are speaking with David Aiken, Chief Political Correspondent for Global News, about uh, the uh, new potential Conservative leadership uh, candidates. Uh, you mentioned one of them being Paul Yev. You only have about a minute here, but other names include Leslie Lewis, Peter McKay, Michelle Rempel Gardner. Would Doug Ford, Jason Kenney, and Brad Wall be serious contenders? So almost all those people you mentioned, no. No McKay, no Ford, uh, no Wall, no Kenny. Um, Pierre Poiliev is the fan favorite and likely winner if it's a short race. The big question now is the rules. How much money do you got to raise to get in? How long will the race be? Short race favors someone like Poiliev, who's already a real known quantity, and he's a hell of a fundraiser. A longer race, I'm going to put this name out there right now, might attract some people from outside sort of the, the, the political realm right now. Think about Mark Mulrooney, and yes, you know that last name. He's the 42-year-old son of Brian Mulrooney, working on Bay Street right now as a banker. And I can tell you that some very senior people in the conservative movement, many of them associated with Harper, associated with the West, like the idea of a Mark Mulrooney. They think he could have the royal jelly to win. Paul Yev could win his party, but there's a big question mark. Would he win an election? Because he is seen as a polarizing character in the sense that Conservatives love him because he's just a bomb thrower at liberals, but can he attract the more moderate conservatives sort of in our, in our suburbs? So those are just a couple of names. Again, I don't think you'll see Michelle Rempel-Garner either for the same reason uh, that Candace Bergen can't be leader, lack of French, and, and those other folks either. Ford's already ruled it out. Patrick Brown, people talked about him, the former PC leader of Ontario, current mayor of Brampton. I think we asked him two, night, two mornings ago, and he said, no, I'm not going to do it either. So, uh, so that's what we're doing now, beating the bushes. But no one is going to come out of those bushes till we know the rules. That is really important to, do, to get a sense of whether you could be successful or not as a leadership candidate. Fascinating stuff. David Aiken, appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us. Sure, no problem. Cheers. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. We're at a fork in the road here. Um, these things are either going to stay the way they've been or we're going to move in a direction that will not only uh, help and affect um, change amongst the you know black minority coaches in the national football league but it, 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 it won't just be there welcome back to good morning hamilton on 900 chml rick samprin with you you can take us on the go subscribe to the gmh podcast in your favorite podcast catcher search out good morning hamilton give us a follow as well so you never miss an episode still to come the round table with paul and shona and who will run for the conservative leadership we'll chat with david aiken from global news what started out as an explosive lawsuit against the national football league has become a nuclear blast that has rocked the nfl Aaron Solomon is the chief legal analyst at Esquire Digital and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Aaron. Rick, good morning. But we first got to talk about the fact that you led into my segment with Rush, the greatest band in the history of the world. So thank you. <laughs> well, I will counter with Kiss, but we will agree to disagree, I'm sure. I think we're in the same uh, listen, ballpark at least. Yeah, there you go. Long story short, the Miami Dolphins fired head coach Brian Flores after the regular season. Flores, who is black, for those that don't know, uh, was in the running for a head coaching position with a handful of other teams, but he claims the league is rife with racism and denying them positions as head coaches, uh, OCs, defensive coordinators. It's undeniable, looking around the NFL, that the stats back up his argument. Absolutely, Rick. I mean, come on. We have this thing in the NFL called the Rooney Rule. 
And the Rooney Rule, which came into place in 2003, said that for every head coaching vacancy, NFL teams needed to interview two black or visible minority candidates. And the owners have been laughing for two decades that they've been able to get along with an essentially toothless Rooney Rule. Because as long as you check the box and interview those two candidates, we can have the situation that we have now, which is worse than when the Rooney Rule came in 20 years ago. We've got 32 NFL teams and 31 white coaches. Yeah, and you know, Flores pointed to that too back in 2019. He was interviewed by the Denver Broncos, and he called that interview process a sham because he believes the team was just interviewing him to adhere to the Rooney Rule, further proof that this rule is just not working. Right. And I want to correct one thing that I just said. We actually have one black coach. We have one coach of Latinx descent, Ron Rivera, for the Washington team. And we've got mm -hmm. one coach of Lebanese descent, which is Robert Saleh for the Jets. But nonetheless, we have one black coach. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's no accident that the NFL finds themselves where they find themselves today. And it's really taking somebody like Brian Flores to say, listen, the Rooney rule is effectively dead. You can't hide behind this fake rule anymore. So he found one of the best lawyers in the United States, a top 15 employment lawyer out of New York. And they claim that they're going to take this all the way through the legal process, which could be lengthy and extremely expensive for both sides. Now, here's the interesting component of this is that Brian Flores really is just in in the first few years of his head coaching career he was a an assistant coach um with the New England Patriots for you know several years but he still wants to coach in the league but i i really don't see an owner uh touching this guy until this lawsuit is put to bed and even after that he might have just sacrificed himself for the greater good here Rick, uh, Brian Flores is never getting a job in the NFL, including selling peanuts in the concession stands for the rest of his life. He has <laughs> put himself into the role of becoming the next Colin Kaepernick, and he's absolutely untouchable to the NFL. Part of that is going to factor into the damages that he's going to ask the court for, because he was earning $3 million a year as, as a new coach for the Dolphins. Assuming that his career would have progressed, he'd probably be in the 7 to $10 million a year range, and he's only 40 years old. So believe me, the potential damages in this case could be in the hundreds of millions of dollars when you include punitive damages. Absolutely. Aaron Solomon is our guest, chief legal analyst with Esquire Digital. We've got a couple more minutes with him. To add insult to injury, this lawsuit alleges that Dolphins owner Stephen Ross offered to pay Flores 100 k for every loss during the coach's first season because Ross wanted the club to tank and get, you know, a number one overall draft pick. Now, former Browns head coach Hugh Jackson claims that the same thing happened to him and he has evidence to back it up that will help Flores's case. What impact is this going to have on the league's integrity? So, first of all, I think it's it's a red herring as far as Flores's own case. The fact that he was being asked to throw games, which, come on, of course he was. Anybody with any inside information in NFL knows that those draft picks are very coveted. And if it means, you know, pay the coach off to throw a couple games, that's the way it goes. So that's an issue between the team's owners and the NFL competition committee. It's really not a relevant issue for Jackson, for, for Flores's own lawsuit, which is the fact that the Rooney rule has been in effect. But believe me, the people who've been doing this practice now that it's in the public light are definitely in hot water. If fans don't believe that the NFL, and come on, your listeners know this, the Hammer is a big football town. If fans don't believe that when the players and coaches go on the field every game, they're doing their utmost to win, regardless of positioning for draft picks, then the NFL is going to lose a lot more money than they're going to lose from this case. 
Absolutely, 100%. Aaron, really appreciate the time and your insight on this topic. Enjoy the rest of the day and enjoy the Super Bowl in a couple of weeks' time as well. I will. Thanks for having me. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Uh, hey, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame nominees are out, and there are some notable names on this list. Here to break it down is Alan Cross. He's the host of the ongoing history of new music. Alan, good morning. Oh, the, fold's, the phone's kind of wonky. What kind of operation are we running here? Oh, well, let's, I'll give you the list as we wait for Alan to uh, to connect. Dolly Parton. I'm not sure why it's taken so long for Dolly Parton to be nominated. Uh, Eminem. Duran Duran, which was huge back in the day. Carly Simon is a first-time nominee. How is, how is this happening? How are these legendary performers being nominated for the first time? Hey, this should have been done years ago. Uh, Judas Priest. Beck. Rage Against the Machine, Pat Benatar, Dionne Warwick, uh, A Tribe Called Quest. Those are the nominees. Uh, did I mention Eminem? Yeah, Eminem, who's going to be playing the Super Bowl halftime show, which should be, I think, epic with uh, Snoop Dogg, Dr. Dre, Kendrick Lamar, Mary J. Blige. Have I left anybody out? There is a uh, a lot of performers for the Super Bowl halftime show, not this weekend, but next weekend, as the uh, Rams and Bengals score off in the NFL's final. Um, but yeah, back to number one, Carly Simon. Like she, she's been around for ages, has had numerous hits, recognizable name, and so I was kind of surprised that uh, this is a first time nomination for her. Other nominees: Kate Bush, Devo, Eurythmics. Um. The New York Dolls, and there's a few more added to, to the list. Now, artists must have released their first commercial recording at least 25 years before they're eligible for induction. And, uh, well, certainly Carly Simon fits uh, that stipulation. But an uh, impressive list. And, you know, when you're looking at the who's who of their genre, you know, Dolly Parton, you can say, is, you know, one of the queens of country and western, Eminem. One of the, I don't know if he's the king of rap, but certainly he's in the he's in the monarchy, if you will. Lionel Richie, iconic, smooth as silk musician. Uh, those are probably your top three, I would imagine. But uh, yeah, throw in a Carly Simon and throw in a... Uh, I, I was a big Duran Duran fan back in the day. I'm not, I am not embarrassed to admit that. I had some good songs. I had some good albums. They kind of fell off the face of the earth for a while and then came back, but uh, I, I think a fan favorite. For uh, many music lovers, uh, we got a couple of minutes at least with Alan Cross, host of the ongoing history of new music. Alan, good morning. Good morning. Hey, apologies for the phone fiasco, but let me ask you this: Dolly Parton, Eminem—is this the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? You know, that's one of the things that they go through all sorts of contortions every year to explain why non-rock and roll artists are into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. The one that I find rather egregious is Dionne Warwick. I mean, when I was in my, my basement, <laughs> uh, in my room blasting Led Zeppelin, my mom and dad were listening to Dionne Warwick upstairs, you know, Do You Know the Way to San Jose, and all the Brit Bacharach songs that she did with him. It, it's a bit weird, um, but what they're trying to prove here is that they're much more inclusive, and that uh, this kind of music went beyond, you know, four guys with guitars, bass, and drums. So, okay, fine. Um, that's why we have Dolly Parton, who is a fantastic songwriter, certainly belongs in a, in a bunch of Hall of Fames, including the Country Music Hall of Fame. 
fine if you want to do that. Um, Dion Warwick, I don't get it, uh, but fine. Uh, but the rest of the list is, is, is pretty solid. There's a couple of first-time nominees there. Uh, I think the youngest is Eminem. And uh, he, he, people forget that he worked his way up through the, the alternative rock side before he was, uh, you know, f- fully embracing the hip hopper. So that's mm. interesting. And uh, I'm glad to see Judas Priest there. I'm glad to see Pat Benatar there again. Same thing with Kate Bush. Uh, Devo, Eurythmics. You know, uh, people really don't understand how groundbreaking the Eurythmics were, uh, especially with Annie Lennox's image back in the early 1980s. It was a really, really important band at that time. So I'm glad to see them there as well. Uh, I'm going to run a little bit late because I do, I do want to ask you this. Carly Simon, first-time nominee. This is a little strange. I, I thought she would have been nominated long ago. Well, again, there's, there's a backlog of people who want to be or should be recognized. Uh, again, is Carly Simon worthy of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Well, she's certainly a fantastic artist and had a lot of hits in the early 1970s. Uh, not very rock and roll in, 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 in mm-hmm. you know, and you would nominate her over Iron Maiden? Um, I'm confused. <laughs> Aren't we all? Alan, really appreciate the time. I know it was brief, but glad you can join us. No problem. Alan Cross, host of the Ongoing History of New Music. It's a great podcast. You can download it in your favorite podcast catcher. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. It just reminded me of my first uh, Olympic in Vancouver. I walking in behind Clara Hughes and seeing her with that smile and having the pride of carrying that flag. Uh, it was unbelievable. It's so much pride. Uh, it's an honor, a long shall, uh, to be honest. It's, it's unbelievable. That is the voice of Marie-Philippe Poulin. She is the co-flag bearer for the Canadian Olympic squad that is now in Beijing, China. Charles Hamelin, speed skater extraordinaire, the other flag bearer for tomorrow's opening ceremonies. There are some events that are underway in Beijing. A hockey last night says uh, Poulin and her crew demolishing Switzerland 12-1, to out shooting the Swiss 70-15. to You know, the huge, uh, as Canada's off to a great start at uh, these Winter Games. But is it a great start and is it going to be a smooth sale for advertising when it comes to the 2022 Winter Olympics in China? Mark DeMassimo is the founder and creative chief of Digo and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Mark. Good morning. Good morning, Hamilton. How you doing? Uh, fantastic. Now, the Olympics is usually an advertising cash cow for the IOC and certainly for some of the companies who are uh, involved, but are many companies staying away, giving the political climate in China right now? You know, a few are backing off, but for the most part, it remains uh, uh, it, it remains a cash cow. A lot of cash is changing hands, uh, but folks are being quiet about it. Uh, just, I mean, think about it. The Olympics is a beautiful thing, right? It's 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 uh, it's this rare island of peace, cooperation, the pageantry of all of us getting along through the beautiful competition of sports. And advertisers want not just access to the audience, not just to advertise to the audience, but they also want access to those those idealistic brand qualities. They want association with those emotions you know, not least of which, of course, is the was the amazing competition and the stories of the athletes and all of that. 
And now look what's happened this year. Um, we have, uh, uh, you know, a human rights, humanitarian uh, crisis going on in China, um, pretty much at the last minute, just, just you know, uh, December uh, 6th, uh, the, the uh, administration, the Biden administration decides to have a diplomatic boycott. So it's not an economic boycott. It's a diplomatic boycott. Um, leaving advertisers to decide what do we do about this? What does this mean for, um, for, for guidance for us? Um, no advertiser wants to become the story. No manager wants to become the story. So they're quiet. Typically at this time, they would be running their, their commercials ahead of, you know, uh, the Olympics, they would be publicizing them. They would be trying to get as much, um, you know, PR, media coverage and attention as they possibly could in order to leverage their investment. But instead, they're being very quiet for the most part. Um, but most are not pulling out. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Mark Damasio. He is uh, De- uh, Damasimo, pardon me, is the founder Damasimo. and creative chief of uh, Digo. And, uh, you know, we have huge companies, you know, Visa, Coca-Cola, um, Intel, Procter & Gamble, uh, Airbnb, Toyota, all, you know, associating themselves with uh, the Olympics. Um, and, you know, obviously they're promoting the games and the beauty of that, but they're also being associated with what is happening in China. So are they kind of treading carefully in how they are, uh, you know, spreading their message? Absolutely. You know, boycotts, um, uh, boycotts or, uh, you know, agitation for boycotts of the Olympics are, are, aren't that unusual. It's not that, it's not that much of a, of a new thing. And in general, companies, have um, have resisted them in order to support this sort of unique island of peace idea of the Olympics and to to be part of it. But um, you know this uh, what's going on uh, in China and, and the U.S. Uh, uh, diplomatic reaction to it is has created a, a new situation. So it immediately touched off late night uh, Zoom calls and meetings you know, uh, uh, certainly across corporate America, and I believe across, uh, across the world, uh, about what to do about this. And the decisions that most companies took were to stay the course. They'd already made the commitment. They'd already made the investment. Um, you know, the IOC, you know, really followed through. Um, so they decided to stay the course with the commercial investment for the most part. Um, and in general, they decided to stay silent, which is just really rare for, for it's just a very rare and different thing for companies and advertisers to stay this quiet, to really mm. try not to be the stories themselves. Most people are sure. going to be tuning into the opening ceremonies because that's probably the most watched part of the Olympics. Mark, appreciate the time. We've got to run because we're out of time. But uh, again, enjoy the Olympics and thanks for the time again today. Thank you.
Mark DeMassimo is the founder and creative chief of Digo, joining us to talk about advertising during the Olympics. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode and make sure you rate and review.